It is Pentecost Sunday, or as I like to call it, Slain in the Spirit Sunday. So uh, we're going to pray for some people at the end, and uh, we're locking the doors, and no one's leaving until everyone's been knocked down. So that's the plan. No, we are going to pray for some people at the end, uh, but we won't be locking the doors or trying to knock anyone down. So you can uh, you can relax in regards to that. All right, Pentecost Sunday. For those first Christ followers. Following Jesus really was a roller coaster adventure, if you think about it. It very much is, a, is an up and down and all over the place kind of reality. Uh, in one sense, little's changed, but for Peter, James, and John, and co., it's a pretty wild adventure, those, those first four or five years of following Jesus, trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, it's a mismatched bunch of riffraff right from the start. So it's, it's not like they're all like, a wonderful cohort of friends that grew up in the same primary school kind of thing. It's a mismatched riffraff from the start. Some are fishermen, some are businessmen that employ the fishermen. There's a tax collector in there. There's a zealot whose favorite thing is to like get swords and take over the Roman Empire. So, you know, it's a riffraff bunch. We've got an eager beaver that is always jumping out of the boat. We've got a reluctant doubter. And yet Jesus says, come follow me. And this, this, this group of discipleship, uh, discipleship, this group of disciples start following Jesus. Uh, I'm pretty sure that, like, you know, those first three years walking around Galilee, Jesus is healing people, doing signs and wonders and miracles, and crowds are coming. I, they probably, I would think, later on refer, refer to those as the good old, the good old days. Um, I, I'd say they probably were the good old days. We know what some of the things coming up in the story of Jesus are. I think the three years wandering around in signs and wonders, that have probably have been uh, the good old days. Uh, you know, uh, in a sense, Palm Sunday is kind of the culmination of these three amazing years of following Jesus. Jesus rides on a donkey into Jerusalem and people start shouting Hosanna and glory to in the highest. Blessed is he comes in the name of the Lord. This is the, the King of Kings has come. This is the new King of the throne of David that's arrived. And you've got these 12 guys that are kind of riding shotgun going, yeah, yeah. I mean, one time we did this when I was talking about Palm Sunday back in the rugby club 10 years ago. Or something, we played the boys are back in town song. Because you can imagine like the disciples are like, yeah, the boys are back in town. Like, this is us. This is our moment. This is the, this is the thing. It's quite a high. Betrayal on Thursday, a little bit more of a low point in the story. Um, that's not kind of ideal or, or anyone's, you know, favorite thing. Um, execution on Friday, definitely negative moment in the story kind of, uh, kind of deal. Uh, the despair and desperation and uncertainty of Saturday, the despondency of Saturday. It's like, oh, what, what's happening now? That's again, probably pretty much a low point in the story. Uh, Resurrection Sunday, whoa, fuel, that was good. Now we've got, we've, we've swung back around. That was a good move, we didn't see that coming necessarily, and uh, that's exciting, and we're looking forward to that, a happy day. A bewildering and exciting experience of these kind of post-resurrection encounters with God, well, with Jesus. He, he walks through doors, and he barbecues fish, and he shows up in rooms, and then he kind of disappears, and it's kind of, you know, it's, it's exciting, but it's bewildering. Um, Exciting times to live, unexpected, bizarre and beautiful. But then Jesus says he has to go away. He has to leave them, he has to depart. He has to go to his Father in heaven. He has to move from this sphere to the heavenly sphere. Take up his throne as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's kind of 
interesting news for the disciples and do you have to go away? We don't really want you to go away. You going away isn't our kind of favorite thing. Um, but it's the first fruits of the resurrection. Jesus now is the reunification of heaven and earth. It's the overlap between heaven and earth that one day the dwelling place of God will once again be with humanity and all will be set right and all will be put back together. He's the Lord of the universe. And though we wait for the final realization of that, he's taken up his place on the throne. And it's unpacked in Revelation 21 and 22. So yay, says the disciples, you're going to go away and take up your heavenly throne. And we think that's a good thing because it's certainly moving the story forward. And so we're behind that and we're excited about that. And we're happy about that. And we're comfortable with that. It's awesome. But it's confusing as well. John 14, verse 18 to 21. Having told the disciples, he's going to go, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them as one who loves me, the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Because I live, you also will live. And one day you'll realize this. So in the fullness of time, there'll be this resurrection, and that's really good news for you, and you're going to live as well, and you're not going to die. Like, hey, okay, that's cool news. Awesome. And then in verse 26 and 27, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, with whom the Father, uh, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why does Jesus say that? He says that because the disciples' hearts would have been troubled and afraid. <laughs> don't let your hearts be troubled and afraid. Ah, they're very humble. They're very troubled and afraid. You, you, you've already died. We didn't like that. You've risen, risen from the dead. That was a good move. But now you're going to go again. We're back to not liking that and our hearts are feeling troubled. They are feeling It's not hard to imagine the kind of thoughts that are running through their head. The ascension has happened. Christ has ascended the throne. But Pentecost has not yet taken place. Are we winning or are we losing? You can imagine the disciples asking that. Are we winning or are we losing? Is it about winning or losing? Is that even the right scorecard? Are we winning or are we losing? Is winning the right word or is losing the right word? Are we coming or are we going? Are we on the cusp of incredible newness or are we on the cusp of everything falling apart? Are we on the, the cusp of incredible newness or are we on the cusp of everything falling apart? Is this the end of everything or the beginning of a new future? You, you can imagine the disciples wondering those kinds of things. They're in a liminal moment. The space between the predictable familiarity of yesterday and the future possibilities of tomorrow. Liminal space. The predictability of yesterday that they can't go back to. That's actually a dead end. And then there is the future possibilities of tomorrow, but they are unknown. They're uncertain. They're not clear. It's a liminal space. The space between the two. There's very little peace 
when you find yourself in a liminal space. There's something of excitement, something of a stirring, but at the same time there's uncertainty and there's fear and there's doubt. Of course, in a liminal space, all of the parts of us that were broken in the yesterday are like, yay, we're looking forward to everything changing for tomorrow because, you know, if things were terrible, any change is going to be good. But the parts of us that felt steady and secure and we had it all figured out and it was stable and it was what we wanted it to be and how we liked it to be, well, we, I don't know I want a liminal space. I want, I want it to stay how it was. I like how it was. I don't want it to transition to something new. So it can be disorientating unsettling. Jesus hasn't disappeared. He's ascended to the throne of high, which is good, and things are moving forward, but the liminal space is uncomfortable. If the liminal space, I've, I've done the wardrobe from Narnia. If the liminal space was literally the, uh, the wardrobe from Narnia, you'd be tempted to just um, wrap up in one of the fur coats and just lie down in the, in the liminal space and hibernate for a while uh you know big comfy blanket and hibernate and it's like I'll, I'll come back once you've sorted all of this out i don't want any part of it i brought along my uh comfy blanket this one because we all have a comfy blanket i've had this one for years this has been on many silent retreats with me and it's you know comes out in winter and i wrap up in the comfy blanket and uh it's my little little security blanket and uh, i just go in here and, and just not face the family, <laughs> especially the little ones. Does somebody, is there any, can somebody pass me a glass of wine? Something? No, I thought if I waited here long enough, you'd all go away. <laughs> we all have our kind of comfy blanket, our, our hibernation space. And in a liminal space, it's tempting. Uh, the kids, in the, in the movies and in the stories and in novels, it's always exciting, but, you know, the kids, they're in the wardrobe. To go back is to go back to World War II and, like, bombings in London. That's not ideal. They're going to go forward to the adventures of fighting and battle, battles with swords and killing things and stuff. It's like, that actually creates PTSD. Like, there'll be a lot of trauma for that. They don't include that in the novels. They don't include that in the stories. It's like, and the children live happily ever after. No, they weren't. They had nightmares for years from fighting, like, talking giraffes and giants and a witch and all sorts. Wrapping up in the fur coat and lying down and letting the world sort its crap out. And then I'll, I'll once you've sorted it all out, then I'll come. But I don't want to have anything to do with it. It's a tempting proposition. I think it wouldn't be too much to suggest that society is in a liminal space or a liminal moment at the moment. The world's shifting, the world's changing, and the old is kind of crumbled and changed, but the new is not. We can't predict what the new is or exactly what that might look like. Probably parts of us are excited about new possibilities and parts of us are daunted at changing from what was what yesterday that we actually really liked and we're really quite comfortable with. We're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. Are we coming or are we going? Are we on the cusp of an incredible new thing or are we on the verge of everything collapsing and falling apart? Is this the future or is this the end? You can't go back. It's a bit scary to go forward rather just wrap up in a fur coat and sit in the wardrobe and hide until it's all taken care of. But you can't stay in your wardrobe. 
It's not just COVID though, COVID's one of those things, but you know, there's geopolitical uncertainty and culture wars and an actual war with the threat of nuclear weapons, that's never ideal. Trade and supply shortages and shipping routes. And there's, you know, there's a thousand and one things happening at the moment that if you, you watch the news sometimes, it's like, you can see why people like cat videos. You're like, oh, can we just go to the cat video channel? Please, in the middle. We've got an unraveling as well in the contemporary megachurch. Turns out that all that glitters isn't gold. We've got a trail of disenfranchised, hurt and abused people whose hearts are broken. And it should break our hearts as well, but it's what's happening at the moment. Uh, this was a Facebook memory that came up from five years ago, uh, one of the books I was just using part of my doctorate research. Quote that I posted on Facebook five, five years ago. All too often, Christianity itself becomes subservient to the longing for earthly power, godless glory, and worldly wisdom. It too faces the censure of the cross. Surely the triumphalism of evangelical Pentecostal church with its paint-by-number programs, its promise of extreme makeover-like personal transformation, and its present-day icon, the perpetually growing megachurch, is an example of this. The onward and upward sweep of North American evangelism is rooted in the soil of the progressive era and its emphasis on success. All too often, though, it's just when we are at our hardworking, positive thinking, people influencing best that we are at our arrogant worst and furthest from God. We're in a liminal space. And I think the megachurch is going to be the exemplar or the model of church in New Zealand that everyone's striving to be like anymore. Not just a Facebook memory though, uh, we've been singing uh, the song Resurrender that uh, Brooke wrote in 2021, we've been singing it this year. Lines in that song, you're turning over tables and calling for return to our lives upon the altar and the things we did at first. You're clearing out the temple, you're cleaning out the dirt, for we are your territory, we are your that's a prophetic song, I think, and I think that's what we're seeing happen at the moment. The familiar predictability of yesterday's popularized megachurch model is looking like a dead end. We're in a liminal space, pregnant with possibility of what could be around the corner, what could be in the future, what, what, what the church could be and should be and might be. But we're not sure. We don't know exactly what that is or could be or might look like. Largely unknown the future of the church, but perhaps we can guess, maybe even prophesy, or maybe I'm just being hopeful. Here's a few things I've been mulling on. Size will no longer dominate the scorecard. Big or small won't be the measure of a healthy church. Big or small won't be the measurement of a healthy church, and bigger won't automatically be better come to a point where certain size will start to actually be undesirable and less helpful, perhaps. Uh, natural, localised expression of the, churches will of the church will begin to bubble up. Uh, smaller local churches, free to specialise in what comes naturally to them. Uh, craft beer rather than mass-produced lager that's watered down that, you know, thousands and millions of people enjoy. Craft beer that's more particular and more taste orientated and some people will like it and some people won't, but it won't matter because you'll have many of these things bubbling up and people will find the one that fits for them. 
And that's cool. Church won't have to try to be all things to all people. As it becomes more kind of localized in its expression, Christianity will adopt a more ecumenical perspective. What I mean by that is you won't have to come to church and bring your confirmation bias with you. See, there's so much people feeling like they have to justify why they go to that church rather than that church, or why they go to this church rather than that church. Oh, the reason I go, really? It's like, you, you don't have to... It's all the body of Christ. It's all just different local churches. They're all doing things. This is the one that... You came six weeks. That was enough to meet some relationships and build, get to know some people. Well, those people are probably good enough to journey your Christian faith with. That'll do. More ecumenical approach. There'll be appreciation of the beauty of other local churches and their contribution to the body of Christ. So not all church will be, not every church will be trying to be all things to all people, and, and certain churches will recognize they have strengths, and then they have things that don't come so naturally to them. But that's all right, because the church down the road, their thing is worship. And once a month, they do these Friday worship nights that go for three hours. And all the people that go to this church but love that kind of thing, they go, hey, we'll, go and we'll just join them on the Friday night. And it'll be fine. Well, that church is doing missions trips to Southeast Africa every year and you've got half of Southeast Africa and your church isn't. It's like, that's right, you'll have friends there and you'll go with them and spend time in Southeast Africa or youth or whatever it will be. Some churches will excel at this thing but not that thing. Others will excel at that thing but not this thing. But rather than it being seen as the competition, it'll be way more collaborative, way more community orientated and it won't be a big deal to have your local church, so not pick and mix from week to week, but have your local church. But join for this, or join for that, or celebrate that, and it's not the competition, it's a collaborative community. I think there'll be a renewed commitment to whole-of-life discipleship. Not whole-of-life commitment to church meetings that fill one's week, but also not a Sunday commitment to discipleship that's separate from the rest of one's life. We, we tend to have these two extremes. If the church has taken over everything and you've just got eight meetings seven nights a week, or church is something we do on Sunday and then we have the rest of our lives, there'll be the renewed commitment to find that, not the extremes, but that, no, no, my faith is not church 24-7, but nor is my faith just church on Sunday. My faith is something that is 24-7, fed by my local church and the gatherings that we have together. Discipleship that's engaged and attentive in the totality of one's week, the totality of one's life. I think the voice of the Spirit will be prioritized over other voices in one's life. We like to say the voice of the Spirit is prioritized over other voices, but we live in the noisiest time in history. It has never, ever, ever been noisy like it is at the moment. We have these devices that we carry in our pockets that beep and buzz 24-7 that plug us into an endless stream of data and downloads and continually distract us and speak to us and yell at us about a thousand different things. It's never been so noisy. So there'll be a commitment to slow down, to tune into that still small voice of the Holy Spirit, that whisper of God in the moment which by definition has to mean the silencing of other voices in our lives. You, cannot, you can't have the two things at once. We're either tuning into the still small voice of the Spirit by silencing and turning down the other voices, or we're going to be struggling. They don't go together. 
which maybe means that Christians might be the first people to mass reject social media, potentially, if we wake up to what's going on, or at least mass monitor social media in the terms of really restricting the role that it has to play in our lives. Perhaps. The pace of the church will be that of a young family with kids. We've been running about that pace for ever. Oh, yeah, not that pace. Not the pace of how hectic it is with a little baby. Can we work on that metaphor? What I mean is it won't be the speed of light or the speed of sound. It'll be the speed of a family with young kids. We'll just be chipping away, walking away. Another way of putting it is to engage in Christ-like ministry that meanders along at about 4.5 kilometers an hour. That's how fast Jesus' ministry was as he walked Judea and, Judea and Galilee. Walking pace is about 4.5 kilometers an hour. So what was the ministry pace that Jesus engaged in? He engaged in a ministry pace of about 4.5 kilometers an hour. He never had a jet, just in case some of you are wondering. He didn't, he didn't have a jet. It's hard for some to hear, Thomas, I know, but he didn't have a double widescreen either. Just walked around Judea and Galilee at about 4.5 kilometres an hour. And that'll be the pace of the church. Perhaps something of the church tomorrow, at least part of it, there'll be, there'll be other things for sure. It's a liminal space though. It's uncomfortable and it's overwhelming and it's exciting all at the same time. Could be, should be, might be. The day of new beginnings or the end of everything, sometimes it feels like both at exactly the same time. It might feel unknown, but in every wardrobe there tends to be a lamp or two to light the way, guide the way. Ha! We have one here. Fancy that. If you look around, there's, whether it's in church world or whether it's in your business and what's your business going to look like in the future or your industry or where, the, the space that you occupy, there's always a few lampposts. There's always some people that are kind of lighting the way or leading the way. In this moment, they'll tend to be the early adopters that looked out of place last year or two years ago or ten years ago. But now they look strangely at home. It's like, oh, they, I think they saw something that maybe the rest of us didn't see. Could be that voice that sounded so out of tune three years ago. I don't know what that person is talking about. It doesn't make sense. They're, all, they're so out of tune with reality. And now it's like... Oh, that person and the things I was saying, they seem incredibly in tune with reality now. And it's not that they found the right key, it's that suddenly we realize, oh, we're singing off a different script, but they've been singing off it. So there's always, there's always lampposts to guide the way. Whatever sphere of life that it is that you're engaged in, or participating in, or a part of. Prophetic voice crying from the wilderness seemed nonsensical yesterday, but strangely in tune. And more so than ever, though, the promise of Pentecost is that there is one who comes alongside to bring comfort and strength and to lead us into all peace. That's the main thing I want to remind you of this morning. The Holy Spirit do not, says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. What we need is the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. If you feel like you're in a liminal space at the moment, disorientated, perhaps distressed, perhaps, agitated, unsettled, perhaps. It's probably because you are in a liminal space at the moment. Transversing from the old into the new that hasn't yet come. You're probably in that space. One of the greatest temptations in that space is a cuddly blanket 
hibernation and to fix our eyes on that which distracts. I like my black blanket, a glass of wine, and Netflix. <laughs> and if we have to do that for the next three months until the world gets it all sorted out, I'm happy to do that. But life doesn't work like that. You don't get to go into hibernation for the next six months and wait to see what will happen. It's a temptation, up on the next slide, it's a temptation because um, it's actually pretty close to what we need. The cuddly blanket and the hibernation and the distraction, it's, it's pretty close to what we do need in a moment like this. It's just not quite what we do need in a moment like this. That probably hints at that it is appropriate. Cuddly blanket and some hibernation and watch a Netflix series, read a good novel is appropriate. It's part of what you need. But it's not the actual thing that we need when we, when we step back and, and take a bigger picture. We don't need a blanket. We need the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the one that comes along side. That says, do not be afraid. Do not let your hearts be troubled. We don't need hibernation so much. We need rest for our souls. Rest for our souls. Come to me that you that are weary and heavy, heavy burdened. Yoke yourself with me. Walk it. Walk in step with me. What is it to walk in step with Jesus? Well, I've just reminded you, 4.5 kilometers an hour. Walk in step with Jesus and discover his yoke is easy and his burden is like discover rest for your souls. And then we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Not distractions. So, so that's good and it has a place and it has a moment, but it's not the ultimate solution. Pentecost, we celebrate God's gift of the Spirit that comes alongside to bring strength and comfort. So I'm going to close now. What we're going to do, we're going to make space this morning for any that would like prayer. would like to come up to the front and have somebody just stand with them, put a hand on their shoulder and just pray that the comfort and the strength and the presence of the Holy Spirit would be with them afresh. It's something that I feel like I need. It's something I'd like somebody to pray for me in regard to. For those that feel like you're in a liminal space, maybe come and just have somebody pray that you just know the strength and the peace of the Holy Spirit in this season, in this moment. Um, I'm going to close with the benediction and then, uh, and, then, and then we'll put on some worship music. Those that would like to come can come. If there's like three of you, I'll just pray for you. It's no trouble. Uh, if there's like 900 of you, then uh, revival's messy and... Uh, <laughs> I have to clear some chairs, and I've got a modesty blanket here, so that's, that's good one. If you don't know what that is, you're, it's, it's good. It's good that you don't know if you don't know what this. Uh, if, there's, if there's just a handful, I'll just pray for you. But if there's, if there's, you know, 10, 12, more than that, if you see a friend up here, someone you know, someone that you're in relationship with up here, not someone you'd like to be in relationship with that you haven't met, okay? didn't, didn't, I didn't say that. If there's one or two, I'll pray. If there's a group of people and you spot someone that you know that you're in relationship with, why don't you just come and stand with them and put your hand on their shoulder? And just It's not a counselling session. Just praying that they'd know the love, the peace, the presence of the Holy Spirit afresh this morning. So let's stand together. I'm going to close with our benediction. There's tea and coffee for those that would like to, to do that. But for those that would like prayer, for those that are just feeling like they need an impartation of the Holy Spirit this morning, we'd love to pray for you. As you go this morning, perhaps unsure 
The old is dying, but the new has not yet come. And there doesn't appear to be any hope on the horizon. Go knowing that the Spirit of God is present to you. The Spirit that is Christ's gift of of peace. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. For always the will of God is to bring newness of life. The future is pregnant with holy, whole and wholesome possibilities. Especially when the Holy Spirit plays the midwife. Fix your eyes upon Jesus and don't be surprised if you stumble across a lamppost pointing the way this week. For he is ever present to you. So go in the love, the joy, the peace, the mercy, the grace of Christ this morning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.